Amen. Thank you, Kevin, for those prayers. And good morning, church. Let me add my welcome to Pastor Brenda's. It's great to be with you all here today. And whether uh, you are online or in person, um, it seems uh, that right now I've known many people in the past few weeks who have COVID, and so they're watching online. So we're thankful for the technology that allows us to do that. Well, we are in our Galatians series, this freedom series, and we're going sort of verse by verse through the entire book. It's not the usual way we do our preaching sermons, but every once in a while, it's kind of fun to, to take it one step at a time. If it's not fun for you, uh, tell Pastor Brenda and um, let us know to not do it again. No. Um, so let me just do a quick recap on where we've been. Um, Paul, at the very beginning, wants to get at the source of our freedom and his own authority, which is Jesus and God the Father. He's very emphatic about where this freedom comes from and what gives him his authority to do what he's doing. Pastor Brenda talked about this divide, this social, this ethnic, this religious divide, really, that was happening at the churches, that the Jewish believers were wanting the Gentile believers to also follow the law of Moses in order to be really accepted by God, to be an heir of Abraham. And Paul keeps emphasizing that it's Jesus plus nothing that leads to our full inclusion. And Paul keeps addressing these two problems about his authority and what really is the gospel? What do we have to do to be included? Last week, we talked about how Paul was transformed on the road to Damascus. His understanding of God was completely different before and after. Before he encountered God on Damascus. He was following God as faithfully as he could, and this is how his ministry was shaped. Coercive power, faithfulness to the law, his credentials as a Pharisee with force, with verbal and physical violence. It was about what we can do for God, and he saw God's kingdom as Israel. That's how he was being a faithful follower of God. After Damascus, everything got turned upside down. Instead of power, weakness. Instead of faithfulness to the law, faithfulness to Jesus. Instead of self-righteousness, Paul can now call himself the chief sinner, the number one sinner. Not so much about what we do for God, but what God does for us. And now God's kingdom is for the whole world. This week, free to resist. Free to resist. Freedom is so key in our faith with God that we have to resist those who want to suppress our freedom. That's what we're going to talk about today and how Paul does that. Now, if you were to interview 10 different people on the street and say, what is your opinion of Christians you would probably get 10 different answers, but I'm guessing they would fall into two different camps. Camp number one, judgmental, hypocrites, uptight, inflexible, exclusive. And hopefully another group of answers would be compassionate, loving, free, inclusive. I hope you would get enough for that for the second group of responses. Now, how is it that followers of God could be categorized in such different ways? How is that possible? Well, it centers on this idea of freedom. The very place that we should experience the most freedom 
in the church can become the place where we experience the least amount of freedom. We are in the most danger of losing our freedom right here, right here. That's why Paul devotes a whole letter to this in his writing to the Galatians. So let me pray before we dig in. God, I thank you that you are here. We celebrate you this Pentecost. God, we lift this day up 50 days after Easter. We remember your incredible gift of the Spirit. And so we just uh, invite the Spirit into this time to help us understand your word and how to live it out today in your name. Amen. So let's look at the first 10 verses of chapter 2. Then after 14 years. So remember last week we talked about after Paul encountered Christ on Damascus, he went away to Arabia for three years. We have no idea what happened during that time. But I would imagine his whole theological worldview was turned upside down. We listened to five stories last week of how people here at Communities picture and theology of God has changed over time. So if you didn't listen to those testimonies, go back online and do that. It took Paul three years, and then he goes away for 10 years in Tarsus. So 14 years now, he went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give up, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This writing in Paul's Greek here is very jumbled. It sometimes is difficult to make sense of. You can tell he's writing with a passion. He cares about this. Goes on to verse 6. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and that they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Okay. So let's look first at these freedom suppressors. Who were these people that Paul is addressing? And why would somebody want to suppress freedom? Why would we even want that? Well, maybe because we want things to go our own way. Maybe we're anxious about how others will use their freedom. When Maya had come back home um, in the midst of COVID, um, and she was here, and she was, you know, refiguring her life out in terms of her final year of high school, and she wasn't going out with her friends very much, but one night she wanted to go out with her friends, and so we didn't um, even think to have the usual sort of restrictions on a time to come home. We thought, oh, we're just so happy she's going out with friends tonight. Uh, good night, Maya, and, uh, you know, have fun. Well, it's 11 p.m., usually the time we would hope she would be back. No Maya. It's midnight. No Maya. 
try to call her on the phone, doesn't pick up. One o'clock, no Maya. Two o'clock, no Maya. Now, I did ask Maya if I could share this story or not. She wanted to make sure what I was and wasn't going to share. 3 a.m., finally Maya comes home, and she's shocked that we were worried about her, right? We had given us her this incredible freedom, and she had fully taken advantage of it. Uh, she, she said, you didn't tell me what time to come home. True, true. So that was rectified there. <laughs> freedom, to give freedom can be dangerous, But that doesn't mean we don't go after it. Paul is not unaware of the dangers of freedom. But he knows it's worth fighting for. So Paul says, look at these. These, those, he says three different times. Those could also be those who seem, right? Those who seemed like esteemed leaders. And he also goes after these false believers, these people that infiltrated the church in Galatia are pointing to these pillars, pointing to these very important people, these powerful apostles that make Paul seem very insignificant. They said these teachers, right, are so much better than Paul. And this is what we want to tell you about them. These pillars seemed so important. But Paul says this in verse 6, right? Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. None of the ways that people measure worth or status or differences matters to God. In fact, the church in Galatia had seen Paul at his most vulnerable. They had seen Paul in his weakness. They knew the real him, and they wanted somebody more impressive. They wanted one of these powerful people like Peter or John or James. Now, we can think of Paul as maybe impressive today. He's written a big chunk of our New Testament. Paul was not so esteemed in that day. They didn't like what he was selling. They weren't impressed. See, here's the thing. These pillars had never even been to the church in Galatia. They got to see the real Paul up close and personal. They knew his faults. They knew probably where he struggled. But these people far away seem powerful, even though it's only an image, only a perception of who they are. They don't really even know them. They know them by reputation. Tim Gombis in Power and Weakness says it this way. The Galatians wanted to be associated with substantial people, with those that seemed to be important. And this was causing them to consider taking a terribly destructive step, that is, to lose their freedom, to become enslaved. See, celebrity pastors and leaders were not just an issue back then. It can also be an issue today. It's wonderful and helpful. I love looking and watching different teachings online and books for sure but we're meant to do church life incarnationally. We're meant to do church life together. You're meant to know my strengths and my weaknesses and my real life, and we're meant to know one another's. That's why we want people in community. That's why we want people in life group. We can come to a church and we can be that image, even though we're in person, we can be pretending to be something we're not. 
we always got to call us back to the heart of the gospel, to an authenticity and a vulnerability to be real with one another, because that's where Christ wants to minister is the real us, not an image of us. Ministry is done in the flesh. It's messy. It can be hard. Conflicts emerge. But this is how God has wired us to do it. Back to the freedom topic. There is always a danger with freedom. What will people do with their freedom? When I was 13, my parents gave me a ton of freedom. Some might have labeled it neglect. <laughs> I enjoyed the freedom. And I was about 13 years old, and I, I cooked up this scheme of selling illegal fireworks in school at 10 times the markup of what I could get them. So I convinced, I didn't tell that scheme to my parents, but I told them I wanted to go into San Francisco. We lived about 20 miles away. My mom said, sure. And I went in, 13-year-old, and I get there, and I hadn't really thought this through. I can't really Google where to buy illegal fireworks, right? The kinds that go boom, right? Not sparklers. So I figured, where better place to go in San Francisco to get fireworks? Any guesses? Chinatown. That's where I went. And they don't put the explosive stuffs on display, right? Because it's illegal. And so I get there, and I'm trying to think, how do I do this? Like, what's my real game plan here? I was 13. I hadn't talked to anybody about this. I had a backpack, and I had some money. So I figured, let me go to Grant Park. It's a park right in the center of Chinatown. And I'm looking around, I'm sure looking very suspicious and looking like I want to buy drugs or something. But I'm like, who can I ask for like explosive fireworks? So I just start approaching people. Do you know where I can get firecrackers and M80s? And, and eventually somebody tells me where. And they take me to their shop. Of course, like, it's in the back room. And I buy as many as I can. I come back to school, junior high, and I sell all of them for a 10 times profit. So. Thankfully, that was a different life, and uh, my parents never found out, so that was good. Freedom can be dangerous, but Paul says it's worth going after. It's worth holding on to. It's worth risking it. Paul is not unaware of the dangers. It comes with risk. But freedom is an essential, and it's worth holding on to. Eugene Peterson and his commentary on Galatians says it this way. He says, the gospel sets freedom at the very center of existence. It's not an extra. It's not an option. It's not a superstructure on a foundation of tradition and morality. It is the foundation. It is at the very heart of our faith. That's why he's so passionate in this letter. He doesn't want them to become enslaved again. He says later in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. At the start of this journey, we talked about freedom being both a gift and a skill. It's a gift from God and it's a skill that we can grow in. And Paul has been our teacher in how to grow in freedom. It takes wisdom and stewardship to manage this gift. Our freedom is because of God's grace. He wants them to know that so badly. It's this free gift that they have to receive, they not to add to it, which then you lose your freedom for. 
So Paul addresses two of the ways in this passage that they're losing their freedom. The first is these preconditions. And the precondition number one is circumcision. What was necessary for the Gentile Christians to be fully accepted by God, in their opinion, it was that they needed to be circumcised. And Paul presents Titus as a test case for this. Now, the people of Israel had a long history of circumcision. God came to Abraham. We can read about this in Genesis 17, where he sets up circumcision as a sign of the people, and it becomes a sign of the people. This is part of their identity. This is how they know who they are. See, the problem was this was Jewish law. Jews had to keep the law of Moses. So Gentile Christians who believe in a Jewish Messiah, it makes sense that they would have to follow the Jewish law as well. This wasn't sort of a um, problem in the early church because the early church was all Jewish, but when Christianity spread and Gentile believers were coming in, the Jewish Christians were saying, no, they need to do this as well. Circumcision set the Jewish people apart, but now they're coming into a faith in Jesus that says he welcomes everybody. He welcomes everybody. They didn't need to do this part of the law. They didn't need to mark themselves as the Jewish people had because they're all on equal footing. And this is what Paul argues throughout the book. See, the thing was, it's not easy to always tell, are you following the law correctly? Are you really keeping kosher? Are you really observing the Sabbath? But with circumcision, you can tell you're in or you're out. You've done it or you haven't done it. It was a question of identity, of belonging to a group, your family. And the Jewish believers wanted the Gentile believers to participate in that as well. Paul says this, as not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. He's trying to present this as this is not necessary. Who is Titus? He's this Greek person with his own body, his own feelings, his own identity, his gifts, the desire to be whole, carrying the burden of sin, the challenge to be whole. And all of these are met in Christ. By grace, Titus has been saved. He doesn't have to earn or work his salvation. He doesn't have to worry about not being enough, of being inadequate. He doesn't have to try to protect, to perfect himself. Titus was free because of what Jesus had done. By Christ's grace, nothing else was needed. But the Jewish believers were saying, no, Gentile believers have to do this step as well. Yes, God loves you. Yes, Christ saves you. But you aren't thoroughly accepted unless you start at the beginning where we did, and that is with circumcision. Now, probably none of you have thought about circumcision in terms of I'm in or I'm out of the community. That's not our issue today. But we probably put up a lot of dividing lines in Christian communities in society, in churches, between rich and poor, 
black and white, neurotypical or neurodiverse, straight or gay, age, young or old. When my kids feel like I'm out of touch, they'll call me a boomer. And I tell them, I am not a boomer, I'm Gen X, right? There are so many ways that we can put lines in. For them, at this stage, it was circumcision. How can we be free if we're trying to constantly please another to be acceptable? How can we live freely if we're worried the door of acceptance is going to be closed to us by something we say, by something we do, by some failure we might have in our life? Paul is asking, why in the world would we keep trying to impose conditions on these believers when God is freely giving his acceptance? Paul tells us that God does not show favoritism. And Eugene Peterson says it this way, our partial acceptance of one another, our conditional acceptances of one another are, in fact, rejections. It's erasing the line that the Jewish believers were putting between them and the Gentile believers. I'm so thankful that Community Church has had Christ at the center, has had the gospel at the center, and has a history of being inclusive. About nine months ago, I talked about this book by Mark Baker called The Center Set Church, Discipleship and Community Without Judgmentalism. And in our core class, we talk about being bounded and being centered. And, and simply put, being centered is having Jesus at the very center and going towards Jesus. He's at the center. Being bounded says we've put some barriers, well-meaning barriers up between you and the cross. Things that tick boxes we want to check. For the Jewish believers, it was circumcision, right? It was not eating food sacrificed to idols. Things that they had to do. Boundaries keep people out and let us know we're in. They help us to define ourselves in opposition to others, so we draw a line. The churches I grew up in um, were mostly concerned about right beliefs. So 2,000 years of Christian teaching and theology, and our little denomination has figured it out, <laughs> and, and everybody else has got it wrong, a line. Or we need to behave in this particular way, which means you don't drink, you don't smoke. Another line. See, lines do three different things. They distinguish people, who's in and who's out. They provide security if you're in the in-group. Any of you ever struggled to make it into the in-group? And once you get into the in-group, do you try to hold the door open for others? If you are, you're a better person than me. Usually you're happy you've made it in, right? And you're just as invested in keeping others out. You did the hard work of getting there. They provide a sense of superiority or self-righteousness. In what ways might you be putting lines between you and others? In what ways might you be putting lines between others and God? See, lines are always self-serving. They're drawn to benefit ourselves. So in bounded churches, our identity is by our 
boundary line. We're more interested in being this brand of Christian than we are being Christian and Christ-like. We're more interested in these fences we had to climb than Jesus himself. Center churches, the center is Jesus. Not a boundary line. Are you heading in the direction of Christ? And that can create tension. If you grew up in a really structured and rigid environment where you had to tick a lot of boxes and somebody comes in who's not interested in those lines or boxes, it can make you really uncomfortable. You can make them, you want them to jump through the hoops, right? Because then you feel better because that seems to be the right way to do it. And we've done the very thing the church in Galatia is doing. We've removed the gospel from being free to being a yoke of slavery. That's why we have to resist losing freedoms, church. We can resist those things because of the fact that we are in Christ. Now, Pastor Brenda is going to speak more on this, much more the in Christ part next week in the second half of chapter two. But this is the very heart of our identity. Being in Christ is what brings real status, brings our acceptance by God on a permanent basis, as sons and daughters. We're included because of who Christ is. See, in bounded churches, acceptance is is like a carrot. It's held out as a motive to perform, to conform, and not a gift to set us free. If you do this, this, and this, then we'll truly let you into our club. And I kind of grew up with this, this, you know, sort of, if I behave and then I believe the right way, then I can belong. If I look more like the in-group, those that are accepted, then I'll belong. But that is a lie, church. As a community, we want you to belong. We want you to be included in the family. And yes, we want you to believe that Jesus is at the center of life. He is the giver of life. He moves us from death to life, from old creation to new creation. He frees us and invites us on a journey of becoming like Christ, of picking up our cross and following him, not to a set of behaviors that makes us more lovable or accepted or good enough. Last two points I'll go through quickly. Paul is also resisting, not just circumcision here, but he's resisting preconditions to serving. So free to serve. See, the usual pattern of bringing the gospel was first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Jesus talks about this in Mark 7. He says, let the children first be fed, for it is not right to take their bread and feed it to the dogs, the dogs being Gentiles. But Paul didn't do it this way. He didn't minister in a way to exclude Jews, but he knew his calling from God was to the Gentiles. And he needed the freedom to be able to do that. And he says the church leaders agreed with him that he should go to the Gentiles. And he wants the church in Galatia to know this. This is what his calling is all about. What has God called you into? How has he wired you? What are the ways he's gifted you? What are experiences you've had that will help you to guide others. We want people to have the freedom to serve in whatever capacity. 
If you have a heart to serve and you're not serving, talk to Pastor Brenda or myself or look at one of the opportunities that we have, whether it's working with kids or ushering or in the sound booth, in the music team. We would love to have you bring your gifts because the church body functions best when we bring what God has done for us. It could be something as simple as helping out at CAM. We've got Vicki helping with the decoration. She would love help with the decorations. But setting up and getting things ready and bringing food, there's so many ways that we can be community together. So we're free to serve. And the final one is free to show compassion. Paul was clear that they still needed to have a heart to serve the poor. He says this in verse 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. A freedom that ignores or forgets the poor is really no freedom at all. The poor are typically on the margins, typically less power than those at the center, can't speak up for their own needs, and so we're called into a place of inclusion and ministering with compassion to those on the margins. The moment freedom is used to avoid acts of mercy or help or compassion, it's exposed as a fraud. Our final value is love and action, being the hands and feet of Jesus in our city. And there's lots of ways to do that. For our Chinese speakers, we've had a team out on Friday and Saturday serving with Jubilee. There's one more chance at 2.30 today. If you don't have something to do at 2.30, you want to help out with Jubilee, uh, scan that. That'll connect you with Sam. Is Sam here today or is he out? I don't see Sam. But that'll give you his WhatsApp. Sam is out there right now probably coordinating uh, the serving today. But also ICM, next Saturday, um, we work um, once a month with the children. This is for English speakers or Chinese speakers. Um, there's lots of ways we can show compassion in the midst of the city that God has placed us. Freedom is important, church. Is freedom dangerous? Might we misuse it? Yes. It doesn't mean... We shouldn't work at it, though. It doesn't mean we should press in. It doesn't mean we should lose the freedom that God intends for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here in our midst. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, God, and this incredible life that you give to us, God. And I know the temptations myself of drawing lines, of excluding, of adding extra things on top of what um, you have required, God. But you invite us into showing compassion. You invite us in to welcome with open arms. You invite us to minister as you ministered, God, with an open heart, to be your hands and feet, to erase these dividing lines and to join together, to love you and to love wherever you have planted us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.